This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you all for joining. Welcome all our people that join us live. Again, if anybody that w- wants to join us, um, the, the class is almost every Wednesday at uh, 9 p.m. on Zoom. So anybody that wants to join us, please uh, reach out to me. You can be added to the WhatsApp class, which is going to be on the uh, bottom of the notes of uh, on the YouTube channel where I could put it. But other than that, you can always reach out to me at rabbizitron at gmail.com. No, I'm sorry, rabbizitron at torahanytime.com. I don't know who rabbizitron at gmail.com is, uh, but that is not me. So uh, you can reach out to me and I can add you to the um, to the chat and that's where you'll be notified if and when uh, we have classes. And there's other ways as also if you don't have uh, WhatsApp as well. Uh, okay, so tonight we are learning Lilu Nishmat. We are also learning for the safe return of all the hostages and the safe, uh, um, uh, the, the, for the safety of all the soldiers that they should also return home as, as well, uh, very, very soon. So the reason for this class, the reason for the, the topic of internalizing Amuna, um, ingraining the Amuna in you is that every so often people send me, uh, requests on certain topics. And, uh, this request I got quite a few times and I said, you know what? Let me, uh, even though I touched upon it throughout the Amuna series, but I figured let me make another, uh, class on it because I do feel it is important and because I get a lot of requests on it. So it also means that it must be, uh, uh something that it should be, uh, spoken about. So, just to speak about the Amuna series, the Amuna series is something that we've been going on for quite a few years, and the Amuna series is, it, I, I don't, the, some, some series that come to kind of a, a close, uh, the Amuna series I don't, uh, want to ever, uh, close, meaning that every so often we'll throw another class in the Amuna series, as I feel this, as you'll soon see why, but this is a, a very important topic that needs to have continued learning, and Hashem, you know, tonight you'll see, you'll understand the reason, uh, the reason why. And, the reason why people have this request, and it comes up quite often, because you have people that they learn about Amuna. And what happens when you hear a class about Amuna? You hear a good story about Amuna. So you feel encouraged. You feel confident. You feel like, okay, fine. You know, like, I know that Hashem, I know that God is in full control. I know that everything happens is for the best. But then, when the time comes that the uh, you get tested in this and your knowledge has to come into practice in this difficult situation, all walls crumble down. All the, everything that you learned just flew right out the window. So people think to themselves, wait a minute, what is this all worth? Like, what is my immune all worth if I can't actually integrate it, if I can't apply it to my own life? I feel I got tested and I fail and I learn and I learn and I get tested again and I fail. So what's going on? What is the purpose of it if I can't internalize it, if I can't bring it inside, if I can't make it a part of me? So the first thing we need to know is that Emuna is not a all or nothing uh, uh, situation, meaning that you should not be discouraged if you you know hear a story about somebody that was going through a difficult time and then they had Emuna and everything turned around upside down and they're you know like they became the billionaire healthy living forever what you know like married with children and grandchildren and great grandchildren and they're only twenty five and like all the blessings come on this person and you're like okay that's great and then. And you go and you get tested and you like completely fail and be like, wait a minute, I am nowhere near that situation, that story and how successful that person was. 
And this is not something that you should, uh, you know, take to heart in a negative way because and the muna is a process. It's it's something that it's not all or nothing. If you got partially something out of it, if for example you are on level ten of emuna and then you jumped up to level fifteen of emuna, you know the word the numbers are arbitrary. Then that you gain something from it, and, and the more that you learn, the more that you that you implemented, the greater that you're going to grow. But even if you don't get to the level of the stories that you hear, and even if you don't get to that level, that still shouldn't you know push you away from learning from it because you still are going to grow to some extent. And this goes really for anything, anything in life that we want to implement into our own into our own lives. Let's say somebody has an anger problem. There's also a series that I want to do. Let's say somebody has an anger problem, and um, they try learning about anger. They try learning about all these things, and they think they're going to become better. They're going to be a better spouse. They're going to be a better parent. They're going to be a better employee. They're not going to you know yell out so much. They're going to be a better driver. If you live in New York, they're going to they're going to do things without anger, and they learn and they learn, and it doesn't change. And they still get angry, and they still get upset, and they still they still ruin it. So you think, okay, what's the purpose of it? But if you used to get angry for thirty minutes, and now you only got angry for fifteen minutes, that's a great success. That's a, you're going in the right direction. So people tend to see things as an all or nothing. If I didn't check off all the boxes, then what's the purpose of it all? But if I'm able to go, and if I'm able to check off, you know, like at least part of the boxes, then already you're already in a success uh, mode. And that's what I, that's what you have to think about when you're dealing, uh, you know, with Amuna. So at the end of the day, you do want to internalize Amuna. You do want to bring it inside. So how are you supposed to go? How are you supposed to acquire this Amuna? So the word Amuna, actually the root word of it is Imun. Imun means to train. What's a train? A soldier doesn't go just into the field. And in fact, you know, after October 7th, many people enlisted. It took them many, many months until recently when they were able to go and, and finally get into the, into the field. Why? Because there's training involved. What's the training of a soldier? The training of a soldier is not something of, uh, okay, fine, you'll wake up, you'll, you'll train for about two hours, you'll go to the gym a little bit, maybe you'll run a little bit, maybe you'll practice a little bit shooting. No, the training is very intense. You're spending hours and hours and hours on day. You're sleeping very little. You're, it's very, very intense training. Why do they make it so intensive? Because they're ingraining it in you. The people that study martial arts, for example, for 10, 20 years, and they don't just study it like once a week. I'm talking about the people really invested in it, the people that are really good at it. And by the way, that doesn't mean anything about what color belt you have, but it actually means that how much you implement it into your, into your daily training. So if you have a very high level of training, meaning that you implement it daily, it becomes natural to you. You don't need to think about it. The second that a situation arises, you know how to respond based on your, based on your training. So how does that, that, that happen? By, by continuous practice, continuous going again and again and again and again, redoing everything a thousand times. The same thing makes it ingrained into you and you don't think about it. This is why also medical students, people that become doctors, they have to go through this gruesome training that they're exhausted. They're not able to focus. They're, why, why would anybody want a doctor that's tired? Why, why are they training doctors to work under such circumstances? And the reason is because they want it ingrained in you that it's, it's so much so that it's because it becomes second nature to you. Everything that you do is going to be medicine. It's you're dealing with people's lives. So meaning that you have to have it so ingrained in you that it becomes a part of you. That that's what you think about. That's what you dream about. That's what you speak about. That's what you're involved in. And that's all. That's what you become. And that's how you become the best of whatever it is that you're trying to become. Because it becomes part of you. And that's what Imuna is just like any, any other skill. If you want to become 
connected. You want to become on this level. It has to be a skill that you practice like every other skill. And it has to be doing it. Again, I don't want, I don't know if you should wake up, you know, at three in the morning and practice it. And then, you know, but if you do want to become on that high level, that's the intensity that you want to reach. And to each their own, whatever intensity that you could, uh, that you could achieve to. The Rambam, Maimonides, in his introduction to Parakhelik, goes in great detail the principles of Jewish faith. The, and, and usually he's very brief. So why is it now he's going into extreme detail? Because when you're discussing things about Amuna, details are very important. You can't grasp the principles of Amuna by just learning it once learning it 10 times, even learning it 100 times. You have to be consistently learning about it. Now, even if you read many, many books on it, even if you learned and you listened to many, many lectures on it, there has to be a a, a, a aspect of consistent review. Because if you don't consistently review it, it's going to slip away. And this is why every so often we will, Bizarre Hashem, with God's help, I want to throw in, you know, a Muna class every, you know, every so often. Maybe sometimes more than others. Maybe we'll stretch it out a little bit more. But the important aspect, the, the, the aspect that you have to understand is that if you don't touch upon it consistently, you will lose it. And the truth of the matter is, is that it's not going to be enough whatever I'm discussing every so often because you need to discuss you need to learn it at a much more frequent uh a much more frequent intervals than what I'm going to do it. But this is something that you have to really ingrain it. If you want to ingrain it, you have to really put it into. Now why is this so important? Why should this be on the top of your list and it should be the top of your list to do? So many reasons. Just to name a few, a minute few, it's when you're when you have a, a level of immuna, you're 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 not worried about things. You don't have anxiety. There is happiness that are, that permeates in all areas of your life. You're living with serenity. You're living with peace. You have better relationships with your spouse, with your children. Because when you realize that if someone, let's say, hurts you, insults you, it's not them. It's Hashem. How do you get to that mentality? That's Muna. That's the understanding of it. And, and the Baal Shem Tov goes and says that the power of a person's bitachon is that all evil decrees can be transformed into good ones, meaning that the power is not only in this world where you'll have, okay, so you live a life of Muna, you live a life of tranquility and peace and happiness and serenity, you live a life of all this, this calmness and happiness. Okay, but you know, like it's, it's not only in this world. Anything that's decreed upon you in the next world, you can, if you have a high level of Muna, if you realize that everything happens only from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know that that has the power, I'm sorry, that has the power to transform bad decrees, meaning that everybody's looking for Segulot. Everybody's looking for ways to get a better life. This <laughs> is a tried and proven uh, skula. And in fact, the Baal Shem Tov himself uh, tried and proved it. That it was, the stories of the Baal Shem Tov are like crazy, like, like miraculous stories. How did he get to this level? What did he do? Did he add that, you know, you would think, okay, he had a capitalistic knowledge and he used certain names and he had certain abilities to say certain things and he knew what to say at certain right times, the right, uh, you know, right kavanah, right intentions. But they say that the Baal Shem Tov, the way that he was able to create all these miracles, that he, whatever it is that he did, was 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 through his level of emunah and bitachon. He did not invoke any names of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. He utilized his emunah and bitachon to reach the level that he reached to do the miracles. And furthermore, the we know that God judges to the T. Right, God judges everybody exactly the way that they they. There's like there's no it, it's it's. It's 100% accurate. So what does it mean that 
there's mercy. If there is accuracy in God's judgment, so then what does what does mercy mean? So the Slonim Rebbe once had a sick Talmud, a sick student, and he went over to the student who was on his deathbed, and he said, you know, when you go on to the next world, please come to me in a dream and tell me about heaven. Tell me what's going on there. I have, a, you know, like I would love to learn more about what's what's going on there. So he said, fine, and you know, a short while later, he passes away, and he comes to this rabbi in a dream. And he comes to his rabbi and he says, you want to know something up here? Or down here, depending on how you look at it. He says, you know, the fires of Gehenim, the fires of hell is very hot. So the rabbi answers, says, that? That's what you came to tell me? I know that already. Tell me something I don't know. So the student responded and he said that if you live your life with a Muna, that, what does that mean? That everything happens, happens from, a, from Hashem, from God, and the, all the good is only because of the good of the kindness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then even if you have to go to Gehenna, even if you have to go to hell, then no one will be able to transport you. You won't be able to go because you will be, that there is like a, a capsule that will encompass you, that will protect you because of the Muna that you had. And Rav Shimon of Yaroslav said that they, they asked him, he lived to a very old age. And they asked him, how is it that you're able to live to such an old age? So he said he never questioned HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything that he did, he said, listen, this is from God. Everything that happened to him, so this is from God. I'm not going to question it. So what happens when you don't question God? Because, you know, like God doesn't need to give you answers. What happens if you have a lot of questions about God? God says, okay, fine. You want answers. Let me bring you up here and I'll answer you. You know, the, the, this Rav Shimon said, no, 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 I don't need to go up there. I have no questions. Meaning that, that there's no need to make a meeting. I don't have any questions. You know, like, let me stay over here. I, because he didn't voice any complaints, they, this is what he said. He said, they let me stay where I want in this, uh, where I am in this, in this world. And this, you know, the, the benefits of Imuna is, is really endless. And this is not a class about the benefits of Imuna, but, but it goes on and on. You can listen to our Imuna series of the first, like, at least four classes speak about the, you know, the benefits of it. The, the, the purpose of this class is to try to internalize and to try to implement it and to integrate it into your life. So I would like to go with Hashem's help, through three steps, um, and, uh, to, to, for this implementation. And every step that you, the, meaning that there is levels to this. The more that you, in, that you focus on whatever step you are on, the more that you will, the stronger your amuna will be. So you can focus on one, you can focus on two, you can focus on three, you can focus on, obviously you can focus on all of them, but any aspect of it is going to gain you a greater aspect of, uh, you know, of amuna. So step one, and this is a step one before you could even, like, obviously this, this is, this is something that's gonna sound very obvious, what I'm about to say, but, the more that you implement it, the stronger that your amuna is going to be. And and bear with me with this obvious statement. Step one for having amuna is knowing that God exists. Now you think about okay, why like you know like why is that even you know like like why is that even a a step on it? And let's try to to you know to break this down a little bit. The stronger and the more that you understand that God exists, the stronger that your foundation is going to be. Now, you could say you believe in God and you believe that God exists, but there are levels to that. It doesn't just happen on a, okay, fine, I know that Akadosh Baruch Hu exists. I, and, and I can tell you this from personally speaking to people, where you have people that even are not religious have a stronger belief that God exists than people that are fully religious. However, they're missing other aspects and that's why they stuck in their non-religious you know area. But 
but there are levels to where you, just because you say, okay, fine, of course I know HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, no, no, no. If you implement it, if you focus on it, as we soon will discuss, then that's going to get, this is going to make your emuna a lot, a lot greater. And there's none of us that can say that we can't, we can't gain more knowledge, uh, you know, on this. The Rambam, Maimonides and Sefer HaMitzvah tells us that the first mitzvah, the first commandment is to know and believe in God. Now, you can ask, how can you command someone to believe? You can command someone to do something. You can command someone to think a certain way. You can command someone to believe a certain way. So really, the answer is very, very simple. It's a very, very obvious, uh, you know, answer. Meaning that anybody with normal intelligence, now these days, it's a little bit complicated to say this, the following statement, but it's 100% true, that anybody with a normal intelligence will come to the conclusion that there is a God. Normal intelligence, like a healthy normal intelligence. And in fact, the Chavos Alvavos tells us that the people that claim, that claim that the universe came into existence by chance without a creator, they're, you know, like, it's, it's incomprehensible how they came to such a conclusion. You would never say if you see a machine that it just came by accident. So how can you say that about, uh, you know, about the, the world? And then, you know, the, the way that people come is like, okay, well, you know, science. Science is the answer that everybody comes to, uh, um, you know, to, to implement this, uh, their thought process of what they want to think and what they want to feel. But let's say, and this is an example we gave before, let's say you're looking for a certain fish. And this fish is half a millimeter in length. It's a tiny, tiny fish. And you go throughout the entire world and you search for this fish. You have nets made specially to, you know, to catch this fish and you search everywhere and you can't find this fish. The nets that you have has holes that are one millimeter long and you're looking for a half a millimeter fish. Is it questionable why you haven't found this fish? If you're looking for a certain fish and even if you look through the entire world and you didn't find it, you were looking with Tools that didn't, that weren't able to capture what you were looking for. Your net was too big for the fish that you were looking for. And that's the same thing with science. Science accepts data only from tools that it recognizes, the tools that it have, meaning that scientific proof is not able to see anything beyond its own limitations. Science is very limited, right? We're constantly learning more and more about, about the world, about science, about nature, about so many other things. We're constantly discovering new things. We're limited by what we have. So if we're looking for something and we don't have the right scientific capabilities to see something, we can come to a very, very radically wrong conclusion that it doesn't exist. But that's only because we don't have the full spectrum of what we're seeing. Just like when the cigarette, when, when tobacco first came out, tobacco was very healthy. And then later, we came out with greater scientific knowledge and better understanding of what tobacco does. And then we came to the conclusion, no, now it's bad for you. Now, what happens if in 50 years down the line, somehow they're going to figure out that tobacco is really good for you? So scientific knowledge is only an end. It, the, the data that we have is only based on the, uh, of the, of the scientific knowledge that we have at our, at our capabilities, at our hands. Anything that we do not have the capable, the capabilities to understand or, or to, un- it's beyond us. So we can come to, to so many conclusions that we think are healthy and we think are not. And this is why things are constantly changing. Things from vaccines, things to medicine. How many medicines come out 
and they get tested by the FDA, and they kept tested that it's good, and only later they have to recall it because they find out that it has tremendous uh, detrimental uh, you know, effects on, on the body. So science is very limited. So when we go and we say, wait a minute, that there is no God because of science, how can you come to that logical conclusion when you have another important factor, and that is the universe is so large, so expansive, you're talking about millions of light years across, billions of light years across. What we see is so infinitesimally small, it's so nothing compared to the universe, that we can't, that's how you're going to come to the conclusion that something for sure doesn't exist, that you're, you're going to come to completely radical errors because you're looking at it from a wrong angle, from a wrong perspective. You're looking at it with tools that you cannot comprehend. Let's imagine you have a somebody that comes and picks up a grain of sand and he says, okay, fine, this came from Italy, this grain of sand, and I can tell you everything about Italy, and I can tell you everything about the health, and everything about the prime minister and the man, and, and, and you start, go- and the guy starts going on to so many things that he could say, and I could tell you how many children on every, like, wait, from one grain of sand, how do you, can you come to that, uh, to that conclusion? Obviously, you're going to be wrong. We don't have that that scientific knowledge to be able to come to that. So if you're coming and you're looking at your, minute understanding of the universe and you say, wait a minute, God doesn't exist because, oh, we have the, you know, the science. Science is constantly changing. Science is not where it's going to be in 10 years and 15 years and, in, you know, in a hundred years. It's not even going to be where it is in one year or even a month. It's moving so, so fast. So when you're coming and you're saying an answer, that God doesn't exist because of something that the tools are not readily available to understand it, you're going to come to big errors. And we see over here that, you know, people like to claim, if I don't see it, it doesn't exist, which is the dumbest claim or one of the dumbest claims because radio waves you don't see, laser you don't see, microbes you don't see. There's so many things that you don't see, yet you know that it exists. How do you know that it exists? Because of the outcome that it produces, it's it's sort of like reverse technology, yeah, like germs as well. You know, microbes, all these little things, how many germs you have, you know, like the, the list goes on and on. So it, it's like telling somebody who has a very high prescription sunglasses and there's a clock 20 feet away. And the guy, you know, someone tells him, take off the glasses, tell me what time is on the clock. The guy takes off the glasses and says, no, there's no clock there. He says, no, no, there is a clock there. He says, I'm sorry, I don't see a clock, which means there must be, there's no clock there. Says, no, I'm telling you, there's a clock there. Just tell me the time. And the guy says, I can promise you, there's no clock. I don't see a clock there. Then they put on the glasses and all of a sudden they see the clock. So what, what's, what's the difference over here? They just, in their own mind, they said it must not exist because I cannot see it. So that is an error that, uh, that many, many people come, many people come to. But it's not only the atheists that come to this. You have also religious people that have these thoughts pop into their head and they question. And the questions come from origins of not looking through the right glasses properly. And this is something that we can each implement in our own lives. That even if you're a believer, and even if you believe that God exists, but you have every so often a doubt. You'll have every so often a question. And the reason why this question is coming up, because you're looking at it from a, you're not, you're not putting on your glasses that you can see clearly. If you do, then all of a sudden so many questions will be answered. In Modim, we thank Hashem on all the miracles that you do for us each day. Ask Rev Dessler, what miracles are happening each day? Where do we see what miracles? You have a miracle every once in a while. You can say, okay, fine, I had a miracle. If you experience a miracle, that's right. It's, it's unbelievable. So Rev Dessler explains that nature 
is a constant miracle. You know, the we grew accustomed to nature, so we don't see it as a miracle. But Rav Dessler explains, this is, imagine you're sitting, and you're going to a cemetery, and all of a sudden, the ground starts moving out of one grave, a grave that's been there for a while. There's grass there, it's fully, you know, manicured, it, like, it, it, there's mature grass and shrubs around it, and there is a hand that comes out, and all of a sudden, a person comes out of the grave, and they have the little tachichim, they make a little bit of a towel for them, and uh, they get out of the grave, they dust themselves off, they see you staring at them, they give you a high five, and then they continue walking. Right, what are you going to say? Like, is, is that a miracle? Like, like you know, be like, that's crazy. Like, I, I've never... But yeah, explains Rav Dester. We see this constantly. You take a seed, you put it in the ground. The seed decays, the seed rots, and all of a sudden, a magnificent tree, you know, grows from that, from that decaying seed, seed, something that was dying. But, so why is it that one is considered miraculous? And one scenario is considered, that's normal. It's consistency. That's the difference between nature and miracles. It's all about frequency. If something is frequent, then it's nature. If something is, is not frequent, then it's, you know, then it's a miracle. The Vilna Golan says, you know, based on the Gemara in uh, Hulan, it tells us, mm-hmm. A person doesn't stub, it doesn't hurt his finger, unless it was decreed, uh, you know, above. Everything is the, everything that happens to you is orchestrated and watched and observed and, and to the detail being, you know, like, like every pin is moved exactly where it needs to, to the millimeter or even less than that, all from above. And the Vilna Gohan comments that Hashem decides what's going to happen to you and he uses nature to execute it. But everything is orchestrated from up above. And this is what we're thinking on Modem. And all the miracles that you did for us each and every single day. Because if we open our eyes, we can see miracles upon miracles every single day. The fact that we could see, the fact that we could walk and breathe and, and, and wake up. There's so many miracles that we can go on and we can just see it. We see it everywhere. And that's what we have to be thankful for. Because once you start seeing these things, it becomes real. The spiritual aspect of the of the world becomes becomes real to you. The um the the pasuk in Devarim chapter four four verse thirty five it says, You have been shown to know You have been shown and you have known that God exists. This is referring to Matan Torah, obviously, and Har Sinai. That you know that God you know that God exists. And then, what does that mean? That you know that God exists. Imagine you're sitting with the President of the United States, and you're sitting in a locked room. There's no windows. There's one door in, one door out. You sit and you meet with this with the President for two hours. And after two hours, you get up to leave the President still sitting in his chair, and you walk out. You step out the door. You close the door behind you. Someone is standing right there. And he says, uh, is the President inside? Now you look around, the door is closed. There's no windows. There's one entrance, one exit. You, there's, there's no way to see that if the president is there. And you also know that there's no way that the president can get out of there uh, because there's one exit and one entrance. So it's safe to say that you can say, yes, the president is there. I mean, with our current president, you could also say, I don't know if he knows that he's there. But you do say that you can't say with confidence that yes, you know that he is, he is there. You know it with full certainty that he is there. You cannot see him. You cannot hear him. 
You cannot smell him. You cannot, you cannot do anything, but you know that he exists where he is. That is the level that you need to have when you're dealing with, uh, with Emunah Bitochan in, in God. Now, the question that we have to ask is that if it's very obvious, and it is very obvious, then why is it that it's so difficult? So we know as we come into Adar that, uh, you know, Amalek is a symbolism of evil. Now, the main weapon of Amalek is doubt. It's, it's the doubt that they, uh, that they cause. In fact, the numerical value of Amalek is Suffolk. It is, it is doubt. This is what they, this is what they cause. And it's a mindset of what, of, of what the damage can be, can be done. When the, when Klaalisol, when, when the Jews were fighting Amalek, how, how were they, when were they winning and when were they losing? So when Moshe Rabbeinu's hands were extended up, then the Jewish people had an upper hand. When Moshe's Rabbeinu's hands went down, Amalek gained the upper hand. So the Jewish people won it because Moshe Rabbeinu's hand was up. Ask the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah. Wait, the Moshe's hands, that's what made a win or lose the war? And the Mishnah answers that no, obviously not. But as long as Klali saw, as long as the Jewish people, they, what was Moshe's hands doing up? Meaning he was pointing up. As long as the Jewish people are looking up and they were subjugating their hearts to God, to the Father in heaven, they overcame their enemy. The second their hands were, were down and they were not looking up, they were not looking at God, they were not subjugating to heaven, that's when they fell. So the, the conclusion of, of this thought is that, you know when a Malik wins? When a person forgets God, that's doubt, that's, that's when Amalek, Amalek wins. Now, every generation has a test, has a particular test. Our test in our generation is a test of Emunah. And when you look at previous generations and previous tests, for example, a famous one is, uh, you know, many, many, uh, generations ago, there was a test of Avodazara, of, of idolatry. And you think about it, wait a minute, it makes absolutely no sense when you think about idolatry. Like, how is that even a test? Well, you know what idolatry is? Idolatry is somebody that goes and sees a tree, let's say. They take an axe, they chop down the tree, and then they take a little chisel and they chisel a little face. In, you know, in the wood that they just chopped down. And then they put this on a mantle and they start bowing down and praying and, to, and giving this piece of wood that they just chopped down power. You'd be like, how could there, how could it be somebody in the right mind do that and say that this has any power? Whatsoever? They just made it up right now. They just chopped it down. How, how does that come to any like logical understanding? And the answer is that was a test of that generation. And we cannot comprehend it now because it doesn't make any sense to us. But back then, the test was very, very real. The Gemara tells us many, many stories. Where you have people that fell to, to, to this test, and they say even the greatest people of the, of the further generations, if they would have been in that, they would have also fallen in that test. Meaning that the test of the generation sometimes, when you, in hindsight, it looks like it's very easy. It looks like it's nothing. It looks like it's not a problem. But in reality, it's a very, very serious test. The test of that generation was a Vodazar. The test of this generation is Amuna. And that's why you, sometimes you don't see open miracles. You don't see that there is, uh, 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 you know, m- miracles the way that they used to be. And the reason is because you will lose the free, you will lose the purpose of what you're here. You're here for the test of Amuna. And if you ever wonder why is it that science all of a sudden came out now and Amuna is so difficult and now it's a test of, the, that is why, that is why everything is plugging in 
for the difficulties that we have to encourage. Why is atheism? Atheism was never like such a big thing like it is now. Why is it all of a sudden like a big thing now? The answer is because that's the test. The test is Emuna in this generation. So you are going to come to obstacles of the test. And that's going to be through science. And that's going to be through difficulties. And that's going to be through t- through numerous different tests that it's all orchestrated just to go and to test you on the test of the generation, which is none other than Emuna. And listen to what the Chafetz Chaim says, something unbelievable. In Machne Yisrael, the main good, listen to this, the main good that comes in the days of Mashiach, you know how like in times of Mashiach people will be getting benefits of whatever it is that they were doing, the reward, they will reap the rewards. You know what the main reward that you're going to get from? That's going to be on how much each person had Amuna. The, according to each person's level of Amuna, that's how much other things, that's how much blessings you're going to get, you know, in those days. Meaning the test of the generation means that it's a test on every single one of us. It's a test of something that we have to constantly work on. If you know that you're being tested for something, you're going to constantly prepare yourself to study for it. And this is the consistency that is needed in Emuda. The consistency that is needed in studying it, in learning it, and in implementing it. The Shomer Emunim writes that you know the final generation is going to be the greatest generation of all time. And the rabbis have been telling us for a long time that this is the, the this is our generation. So the question that we have to ask, wait a minute, says how is this the greatest generation of all time? The previous generation, if we're considered like a tiny speck of a spark of a match, the previous generation were blowtorches, right? There were there were huge volcanoes of fire if we're like a tiny match. And the response to that is is that the denser the darkness the brighter the flames. Yes, they were torches in the previous generation. They were strong fires. They were on a very, very bright level and a high level. But in our generation, there's so much darkness and that little spark of light, the little spark will dispel that much more, that much more darkness. And that's why if you have a really, really dark room, if you have a really light room and you open, you light a match, it's not going to do anything. The darker the room, the more the light is going to affect on the room. So that is step number one. Ste- I am not doing well on time. I apologize. Step number one is to know that there is a God. That when I say to know there's a God, there's really a lot that we can expand upon this. And we did the whole divinity series, and that's not what we're going to get into. And after the divinity series, the 13 principles of faith. But, uh, you know, just speaking about 13 principles of faith, the more that you internalize all aspects of God and knowing that God exists, the stronger your amuna is going to be. Meaning, so from the uh, the 13 animamin, to know that there is a single creator, to know that he is alone, that he is the first, he's the last, he's the most powerful, you only pray only to only to God. The, the truth of the Torah, the truth of the prophets, that and Hashem knows your thoughts and your deeds, there's reward and punishment, so on and so forth, all the aspects of the animamin, the more that you understand that there is a God and you know what God is, the stronger your imuna is going to be. So that's step number one. Step number one is knowing that there is a God. Again, there are so many levels to this. And every one of you that knows 100% that there is a God, you can still grow in this level. You can still increase your understanding that there is a Kaddish Baruch Hu, And the more that you do, that you do the step one, the greater that your moon is going to be. Let's move on to step number two. Step number two is, uh, this is based off the Shara Bitachon, the second parak, And that is where the Shara Bitachon tells us, the, the Chavos of Olives tells us the preliminaries to having Emuna and having Bitachon. Now, I'm going to go through it fairly quickly because we spoke about it before. This was, the, I believe, the sixth class of Emuna, But it is important to understand from before we get to what we want to uh, um, to discuss. So, meaning that 
The first step was knowing that God exists. The second step is knowing how Hashem relates to us. So number one is that God is compassionate. God is merciful. Now when I say God is compassionate and I say God is merciful, that means more than anybody else on planet earth. And when I mean more than anyone else on planet Earth, I'm meaning that if you combine every single person on planet Earth and put all the compassion and all the mercy into one person, God is greater than that. So the level of compassion, the more that you, everything that I'm going to say now, I'm going to go through it fairly quickly. The more that you contemplate on this, the greater that your imuna is going to be, that Hashem is compassionate, that Hashem is merciful, that Hashem has the, the love that God has for each and every single one of you. And again, if you take every single aspect of love, like from the entire world, and you put it into one person, Hashem loves you more than that. Like the level of love is incomparable to what, God, the way that God loves you is incomparable to any other relationship. Number two is that Hashem is not forgetful or lazy. Meaning that Hashem is always thinking about you. God is always thinking about you. And this is the Ramban Nachmanid. He says in the end of Parshas Bo that everything, that you have to know that everything happens, it happens to you directly from God. This is something that, that happens directly from, from, you know, from Hashem. Number three is that God is powerful. God is strong. There's nothing that can stand in God's, in God's way. Meaning that what we're saying right now, these are character traits and how God interacts with us. And this is important to understand as a preliminary to know what to, to, to implement and to internalize the emunah and bitachan inside. Now, the, what does it mean that, that God is powerful? That, when I, when I mean, pow, when, I, when I say powerful, there's also aspect of uh, the sixth one that, that the Chavos of Hobbes brings down, that all matters are entirely in Hashem's hands. Meaning that, if let's say you have a king, and the king says to his prime minister that the, you, I want you to, there's a certain person that needs a punishment. So the prime minister goes to the, you know, goes to the chief of the police. The chief of police calls the sergeant, the sergeant calls the policeman, the policeman goes and implements whatever the, the you know, needs to, whatever the, 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 the punishment is. Who has the power over here? Does the policeman have the power? You know, like the policeman has some power. But the sergeant above him has greater power. The chief of police has greater power. The prime minister has greater power. But who has the ultimate power to go and say, you know what, I'm not going to punish you? That is the king. The king has the ultimate power. The way that the world works is that there are messengers that everywhere around us is all messengers of God to implement whatever decree that Hashem wanted. So if let's say you have a boss, let's say you have a, you know, a, a, a situation, let's just call it a situation that you need to deal with. The person that you need to deal with, yes, you have to obviously deal with that person, but the person who has the, the entity that has the greatest power to help you in that situation is God, is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one that has the ability to go and to help you in that. So the higher, the, the further away from the point of contact, the stronger the power, if you follow what I'm saying. Meaning that the the higher you go up in the hierarchy is further away from what you're dealing with, but that has the greater impact of power to be able to change one thing for another. So everything is in Hashem's hand. And Hashem has the power to change anything and only He has the ultimate, you know, the ultimate power. Number four is that the, uh, that Hashem is our, uh, manufacturer. And a manufacturer knows what's best for us. You could go to a car and you could say, you know what? I think if I put this gas in it or I put this oil in it, I think it's going to be better for the car. It's going to go. At the end of the day, who knows the car the best? The manufacturer. 
whoever created the product knows the product the best because they know everything from all details. They put everything together. They created it. They were the mastermind behind it. Hashem knows what's best for us. So sometimes we think we know that this is going to be good. And Hashem says, no, 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 no. That's not going to be, this is going to be good for you. The very, very important aspect. Number five, we have to understand that Hashem was, was uh, like the, our care, our oversight is exclusively by HaKadosh Baruch Hu from the beginning to end. And the final one is that Hashem has tremendous amount of chesed. You're talking about extreme level of chesed. And He's giving to everybody, even those that are not, uh, that are, that are not deserving. These are the steps that the, the, the Rabbi Rebbe goes and tells us in Sha'ar Bitachon and tells us the more that you understand this, the greater the level of your Bitachon is. And this is step two. Because if you think about it, anything on the flip side of these things will hurt your bitachon. If you think that God is against you, right? God is mean. God is out to get you. God doesn't care about you. God can help you. All these things will prevent you from having emunah and having bitachon. So this is step number two, and this is the relationship. So step number one was knowing that God exists. Step number two is, okay, now God exists. Now what's the relationship? Like what's the connection between me and, uh, you know, me and God? And that's, that's where the more that you implement these seven things. And again, you should really look it up in the Chavos Alvavos. It's the second chapter. Or you could look at, or, or in, a, or in addition, uh, you could, uh, listen to the class we gave on it on, uh, the sixth class on Emunah. I believe it was the sixth class. So the Chavos Chaim goes and says that in order for Emuna to become a part of you, it has to be, it has to have a practical effect on your, on your emotions. I'll give you an example. There's a story. The Baal Shem Tov was once walking with a big thinker, uh, you know, Lamdan. And, um, he's walking with, the, with, with this, with, you know, with this thinker. And this thinker asked the Baal Shem Tov, the Lamdan, is like a philosophical, you know, like a, like a Torah scholar. He asks, uh, the Baal Shem Tov, uh, what's the Baal Shem Tov's definition of Muna? So the Baal Shem Tov, before I answer it, he says, you know, he goes over to this uh, person. He says, what's your definition of Amuna? So this Lamdan, this thinker goes and he says, well, there's the opinion of Rav Sadia Gaon. There's the opinion of the Chovos Alvavos. There's the opinion of the Rambam and Amor and Avuchan and Rabbeinu Bachya and the Torah. And he starts giving him a whole speech for 40, 40 minutes. He's speaking to the Baal Shem Tov, explaining to him what he believes and understands of what Amuna is. And after all that, the Baal Shem Tov goes over to him and says, you want to know what I think Emuna is? And he says, you want to know what Emuna is? Emuna is the feeling I had when I was in my mother's arms. The feeling of the trust that I knew she wouldn't drop me, that she loved me, that she cared about me. That's Emuna. Now, the, the Baal Shem Tov knew about Rav Sadiagon, knew about the Moran of Bucham, knew about the Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, knew about all these things. Yet, what is the difference between what the Lamdan says, what the thinker was saying, and, and the Baal Shem Tov? The Lamdan was pointing out to Emunah Sichit. There's something that was intellectually. There's an intellectual aspect, and the Baal Shem Tov was talking about Emunah Chushit, which is something that's experimental. This is something that's internal. internal. So you could have two aspects of Emunah. There's Emunah in the knowledge. There's a Muna that you're thinking about it. You listen to all the classes. You're listening and you're, under, and, and, and you're studying it. And you memorize it. And you know all the answers. You got everything, but it's all in your head. But that only goes so far. And that brings us to step number three. And that is taking everything that you have intellectually and moving it into your emotions and making it become a part of you. The first step and the second step. The first step knowing that there's a God. The second step is the relationship between you and God. This is mostly in the head. This is mostly intellectual. 
So how are we going to go and how are we going to implement it and take this in, inside and make this a part of us and internalize it and make it become part of us? This is really the difference of emuna and bitachon. Emuna is the knowing aspect. Bitachon is taking it and putting it into, pra- into practice. And this is what the Pasuk tells us in Devarim chapter 4 verse 39. And you should know, you should know, you should know today, and then it says you should put it into your heart. So there's two aspects over here. There's viadata, and you should know, and put it in your heart, meaning that there is knowing it, intellectual, and then putting it into your heart, implementing it, becoming it, who you are. So step three, we're going to break it up into a few different aspects. Number one is prayer. The Chazonish says that you want to know how you make emuna like part of you, is that you ask God Everything from large to small. In fact, Rav Nassim of Breslov tells us you should make it. You should make it into a habit that you should ask Hashem for all your needs. Everything that you want, ask God. Rabbi Yisrael Absher was known that he would not do anything without without praying it, praying it first. And this is you want to know how strong your level of where you're holding on your amuna. You, you know what? The the main check is through your prayer. That's how you can tell where you are. And there's many, many, many like like. Like, you know, negative aspects that come out of this. People think, okay, wait a minute. If I have a munah, then I shouldn't be praying because this is what God wants. And they, they, they take it the other way around. The higher level of a munah, the stronger the prayer and the closer that you are to God. Meaning that prayer is an implementation. When you believe strong and heartily that there is a God and you believe in that relationships, the seven aspects that we spoke about, 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 uh, the Chobos of others, then your prayer is going to get stronger. If your prayer is weaker, then you know your level of Amuna is, is weaker. So part A in step three is prayer. The more that you pray, the more that you make Hashem real in your life. Now, you don't have to be on the level that your prayer is on the highest level. How are you going to get to that? The way that you get that your prayer is on such a high level is you pray for every little thing. Like, talk to God in English, in Russian, in Hebrew, whatever language you know. Speak to HaKadosh Baruch You're about to get into the car. Hashem, please let me drive safely. You're going to sleep. Please let me have a restful sleep. You're going to eat a lot. Everything that you can, you can implement into, into your life. This part, by the way, I mean, any part that is consistent is very difficult. And each one has to figure out their own way. How to, how to make something consistent because you could, you listen to this class. Okay, fine. So tonight you'll be able to like say all the things. You'll do all the things, right? You'll, by tomorrow, like what's going to change about it? Like how are you going? I always tell people, you know, okay, make an alarm. You know, like to each their own. You have to figure out a way to make this consistent. Like this is something that you can do. It's an easy thing to do. It takes, almost no effort on your part, right? Before whatever you're about to exercise, Hashem, please help me with the exercise. Let me be healthy. Let me be able to, whatever. you could implement and pray for everything in your life, but you have to remember to do it. So this is something that you have to think on yourself and how you're going to go and how do you make sure that you implement it? So that's step A. Step B in part three is that you have to put Hashem in your life. Like you have to make God part of your life. Uh, you know, Rav Dessler, you know, refers to this that, uh, um, it's, it's referring to like, you know, God in every opportunity saying, Baruch Hashem, Emir, Hashem, Bez Hashem. You know, you could tell a lot about a person, the way that they answer, you know, certain questions. For example, you ask a person, how are you? Say good. And then if that's it, then you know which level they are. Say, how are you? And they say, oh, Baruch Hashem. Okay. 
So you know, you know, now you're you're holding on a different level. Say, how are you? You know, go get that. You could tell the different the different levels. Like sometimes I'm talking to you know to somebody, and uh, I I start with one like a follow question, like how are you, and they respond to me good. It throws me off because I'm just like waiting, like. Anything else going to come after that? And sometimes it doesn't. So it tells you where a person is, is holding. What does that mean? That, that means that God is not in your life. Okay, so you could say, let's say you're talking, you're walking into a store and someone, you know, like, whatever. Someone says, like, I'm not talking about those scenarios where it's like those pass-by walk-bys and says, you know, like those, those talking. But if someone's talking to you and says, oh, how are you? If you don't say Baruch Hashem or thank God, then there is something that's limited in where you're holding and what your relationship between you and God is. You don't put God in your life. If you would be putting God in your life, then everything that you're going to be saying, you're going to be referring to it. Imagine someone that is infatuated. They're they're about they got engaged. They're about to get married. They're infatuated with their fiance. Everything they're thinking about it. Oh, she's going to like this, or he's going to like this, or she's what she do. Everything their mind is always on it. Why? Because they are. It's in their life. That's the way that you're supposed to be about about God. Now, okay, maybe you're not on the level that you're going to be like, okay, like, what does God want me to do in every single second of the day? Because I'm not on that level yet. But at least you could implement them in the conversations that you have and the thoughts that you have every so often. You say Baruch Hashem, thank you Hashem. You know, like there's certain words that the more that you say them, the more that you realize that you have God in your life. The difference between the Jewish people. Or I should say, the religious people and 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 the and the other nations of the world is that most people know that God exists. As much as they say they don't believe, as much as they say to some extent and and for many to, to majority extent, they know that they that that God exists. But the difference is, that, so a Jew knows that God exists and a non-Jew knows that God. Exists. What's the difference is is that relationship. You know, in the in Havodah Zarah, page two B tells us that when Hashem gave the Torah to the Jewish people, He approached all the nations of the world. They didn't want to receive it. The Jewish people, the, they wanted to receive it so badly. This is the, the, they were like Nasev and Ishmael. Yeah, like, we want to be a part of, like, we want it. We want this connection. We want to be in this relationship. You know, like, the most important aspect is that the, the, in a, in a, re, in a healthy relationship is that it has to be a mutual, uh, mutual feeling. You know, like, how many people in dating, they're so nervous about moving on to the next step because they're not sure what the other person is thinking about. So they're always questioning the themselves and they're not they, you know when you get to a healthy point when you know you're on that same level and you know the other person loves you as much as you love them to a certain extent that's when you have a healthy relationship the first person to go and look for Akadosh Baruch Hu was Avram Avinu to, to, in his extent he was looking for God and he desired he had a desire to have a relationship with Akadosh Baruch Hu. the Jewish people doubled down on that and they said Nasev and Ishma, we want to have that we don't care what it says Nasev and Ishma, let's do it we want to be a part of it they were connected a relationship like that cannot be broken it's something it's an internal relationship it's a relationship that you want to be here that's what Akadosh Baruch Hu tells us they call Klal Yisrael B'ni B'chari Yisrael Excuse me, in chapter, in Shemot, chapter 4, verse 22, it's B'ni B'chari Yisrael. God mentions the Jewish people like a firstborn son, the greatest love, the connection, and the connection, the reciprocation that we have to have is that we want to be here also. How many people are going through life and they're like, yeah, fine, I'm religious, I have to do a certain things. That's wrong, that's, you want to grow your, your, your immuna aspect? You have to have that relationship with God. How much you have that relationship is how great the immuna is, your immuna is gonna be. And that's part B. Part B is how much you put God into your life. How much you have the relationship of God into your life. 
Let's go to the final part, part C. And that is Hakar Satov. We know we say in, uh, in, in the Berchas HaShachar, we say, We thank Hashem for providing all our needs. That's a translation. He made for me all my needs. But the Chazal, our sages, tells us, what is this referring to? This is referring to shoes. We're thanking Hashem that we have shoes. Ask Rav Shlomo Kluger, wait a minute. Why is, what's so special about shoes? If Hashem is providing all our, my needs, why am I focusing about shoes? Because the Gemara in Shabbos, page 129, tells us that a person has to, has to own a pair of shoes. They have to sell whatever they have because they have to own at least a pair of shoes. A, a, a shoes, having a pair of shoes is like the basics of what you need to have. So when we thank Hashem that we have at least the basic, we have, you gave me at least a basic, you gave me at least the, the, the shoes that, that I have. And I don't have to sell anything else in order to go and to, and to buy, and to buy shoes. And to go in a step further, Rav Shlomo Kluger tells us that you're providing me with all my needs. What does it mean, all my needs? No one has anything. So what does it mean, that all my needs? So we know that you have to make a blessing for the bad and for the good. You have to make a blessing. Why? Because this is God, only everything that God does, God does for the best. So when you say, you gave me everything, this fulfills that requirement. He is thanking Hashem, whichever situation that you put him in. And I want to take this a step, a step further. This is my own thought. And this just explains the previous thought. And that is, we think we say in Berchaz HaShakar, we thank Hashem for everything that He has done. What, what does that mean, Sha'asali Koltarki? Did all my needs. We have certain needs. And we think that Hashem, you know, like, I need X, Y, and Z, and you haven't provided for that. But Hashem says, no, 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 I'm providing for you everything that you need, meaning that you're placed on this world to accomplish certain things. There are certain needs, spiritual needs that you have. Whatever situation you put me in, whatever place you put me in, you put it in because this is the spiritual situation that I need to. I need to accomplish certain things in my life. And because of that, I am thanking you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for, for, uh, for putting me in that situation and giving me everything I need to accomplish that. And this is what shoes represents. Shoes represents moving around. Shoes is all about, life is all about growth. Shoes is about moving. Life is about moving. We have the figuratively, we have the ability to be able to move up and down. And that's what's life all about. And that's what we're thinking. Thank you for putting all my needs. Thank you for putting everything that I need right in here so I can grow and I can move to the place that I need to. The more gratitude that you have, the greater your the greater that your uh, um, that your connection to Hakadosh Baruch Hu is, and the greater that your your emuna and bitachon that you're going to have. So, the Torah tells us that. And I'm sorry, I got a little distracted. I'm, I'm, I see that my the camera is not charging, so we're gonna have to like wrap it up a little bit. We have a few more minutes left. The so the Torah tells us that you have to, uh, Chazal, I'm sorry, Chazal tells us you have to make a blessing, right? You have to make a blessing. What does that mean that you have to make, a, you know, make a blessing? A blessing is a, a, it's a sense of gratitude. Before you take something in, before you eat something, you make a blessing and it's a sense of gratitude. You're thanking God for what He has given you. So you want to know how to make Hashem real in your life? You have to make sure that besides putting Him in every, every, you know, in every aspect, you also have to go and you have to, when you make a blessing, you stop for a second and you think about it. Thank you, Hashem, for the food that you're giving me. There are so many things that we do that kind of, uh, you know, like, like if we had a high level of emuna, we would have the ability to be able to go 
and to really implement that in all your own lives. And that's what you could see. You could see the level of what, of how much you have in concentration when you make, when you make a, when you make a blessing. So we know that there are three things over here. The number one is to, is to know that there is a God. Number two is know how Hashem relates to us. Number three is taking that knowledge intellectually and implanting it into our, into our, you know, making a part of us. How do we do that? We do that through prayer. We do that through our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, putting HaKadosh Baruch Hu in our life, and we do it that in gratitude. There shouldn't be a day go by, and I'm saying this to myself also, there shouldn't be a day go by where you're not thanking God for something. There's something, the more that you look at your life, the more that you could thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The more that you think HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the more real HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes into your life. The more that real that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, the stronger your level of emuna and bitachon, uh, you know, becomes. I want to speak to you about what you, what a person should, uh, you know, what a person should strive for. And this is, uh, you know, something that, you know, you can tell of what, what level you are, um, you know, you're, you're holding on. So, the when the Jewish people left Egypt, so when the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, they got stuck by the ocean. And Moshe daven to uh, Moshe daven to the to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and uh, the Hakadosh Baruch Hu goes and tells them, "Matitzakalai, why are you why are you davening? You know, to me now, go and tell the Jewish people." To go jump in the, you know, go go tell them to to buy so, let them go into the water. So what happened was the Jewish people went into the water, and um, the Egyptian went went in after them. And what does it say? After the Egyptian went after them, Hashem drowned the Egyptians, and he the the sea spit out the Egyptians. I don't know why I'm going through my mouth or whatever. The sea the sea spit out the Egyptians and put them on the dry land. And what does the pasuk say afterwards? Afterwards, the pasuk in Shemot, chapter fourteen, verse thirty one. It says, Now they believed in God and they believed in Moshe. And now we have to understand what does that mean they believed in Moshe Rabbeinu? Like, you know, okay, believed in God. We can't understand. They have a level of Amunah now. They have a higher level. Moshe Rabbeinu, they see him. What do you mean they believe? They saw him the whole time. <laughs> you can't believe him. He's right there. Of course you can believe him. Of course you can see him. Of course you can say that he exists. What does it mean by Aminu Ba'ashem of Moshe So, until now, their level of Amunah wasn't so strong. Meaning they had a level. They went and they uh, saw the, mir- the the miracles of of Yitzhak and Shem. They saw the Makkah. They had they had they had a high level of the Muna, but they weren't they weren't there. They weren't where they needed to be. Meaning that they had um, the, their masters. They were always nervous that the Egyptians will take them back. Meaning they were never they never felt fully free. They said, "Okay, fine, we're we're escaping Egypt, but who knows what's going to happen? Maybe they're going to come with an army. They're going to track us down, and they're going to torture us, and they're going to bring us back to become slaves again." They never felt fully free when they when the when the sea spat out the Egyptians. When the when Akedus Baruch Hu went and showed the Jewish people, look, they no longer are around. They don't now. All of a sudden, they, it says they had a level of emuna. So what do we see from here? Emuna. There's two aspects to it. There's, you can believe, there's number one, you believe, you believe in Hashem. Number two, you rely on Hashem. Now they had ability to rely on Hashem. They didn't have anything else blocking them that they had the ability to, you know, to, to rely to that level. So that brings us to a point that we have to uncover. And that is, we know that Hashem loves you, me, everybody. Hashem loves everybody. So if so, why doesn't God give me what I want? 
Like, why doesn't God give me what I want? There was a man who was praying for Ashiduch. He was praying and praying, like, it was very, very difficult. You know, like, he had, there was, it, it was so many, so many months that they didn't even have a single date. Like, nobody was interested. And then he went and he decided, you know, he's gonna go and he's gonna go to a grave and he's gonna cry and he's gonna pray like he never prayed before. He goes to the site and he starts praying and praying like he never prayed before. And he get he finishes praying. All of a sudden, the Shatchan, who hasn't called him in eight months, calls him. He picks up the phone, says, hello. He says, I have a girl for you. He's like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, didn't even get up from, from just 30 seconds ago, I finished praying. All of a sudden, Hashem sends it. He's like, all right. He says, uh, um, so uh, you want to check into her? So check into her. He says, I just finished praying. 30 seconds later, you call. No need to check into her. She is my match. I should come with a, we- a ring already. Like, let's set it up. The Shatran sets up the date, and he gets onto this date. This girl was from left field. The girl had like no connection, not in Midos, not in Hashkafa, not in looks. Like there was nothing. There was nothing there. And the guy goes over to his rabbi. He says, Rabbi, you gotta help me out over here. I didn't get a date for eight months. I, I for more. I didn't speak to the shotgun for eight months. I didn't get a date for like 10 plus months. I didn't get a date forever. And finally, I cry my heart out and Hashem sends me a date and this is out of left field. I had no connection. I, I could have been dating a horse. It would have been just the same. Like it was like zero connection. So he says, God, look, you know, why is God doing this? Scenario, that's scenario number one. Scenario number two, there was a man who couldn't make his ends meet. He's struggling. They're going. He's going from barely, not even making paycheck to paycheck, and he's been looking for a job for a long, long time. Every day he's looking at uh, you know the classifieds, and he's sending in. He's speaking to recruiters, and he's sending his resume. He's doing it actively every single day, and he's in a very difficult position because he happens to be making for whatever his position is. He's making more than he would be making other in other places, but it's still not covering his expenses. So he's having a very, very hard time finding another job. And one day he just wakes up and he gets burnt out. He says, I can't, I can't call the recruiter again today. Like, I, it's just too much. And, um, he, he decides he's not looking at his phone. He's not checking his emails. He's not making any phone calls, uh, you know, for, for the entire day. Later that night, he feels more relaxed, more calm, less burnt out. He opens up his email and he sees there an email from a recruiter. And it's exactly the job that he's looking for. So he quickly calls up the recruiter. It's late. The recruiter happened to be still was in the office. He calls him up and he says, listen, you got to do me a favor. Can you give me more details about it? And the recruiter starts telling about it. The job is perfect for him. He says, if you don't mind, he says, uh, you know, what are they, um, you know, like, wh- what are they, what are they paying? What's the range? So the guy gave him a number. It was more than double of what he was making. This was going to answer all his problems. He was so excited. He says, I, I fit this job perfectly he says send over my he sends over his resume send it over to the employer like set it up as quickly as possible um uh you know like like make it happen and the recruiter says you know like i I will but i gotta tell you there was a lot of response today Uh, you know like there was it was a very very busy day for this particular position it came in the morning and it hasn't stopped with a response i know they met already with a few people but let me see he calls him back 15 minutes later and he says you know what, what can i tell you i'm sorry they met already with five people today they, they moved really quickly and they gave an offer to one person. And he says, I know the person that they gave an offer to. I was the one who sent the, you know, that person and you're much more qualified. But they said that they already gave the offer and they're not, they're not going back. 
So this man goes over to his rabbi and asks the same question. He says, Rabbi, why? He says, why? I was so burnt out. He says, finally, there was a job opportunity that was for me. There was, I was able to support. I like, I like, God took that away also. Why? Scenario number three. There was a, there was a couple that were looking to buy a house. They outgrew their apartment. They couldn't fit anymore in their apartment. They needed to buy a house, but they had a certain budget. They were looking, looking, looking. They couldn't find anything. Finally, they go. And they find a house, and it's perfect. The problem is, it's $75,000 above their budget. And as it is, they were just like going to make it. It was very difficult. So it was very difficult, but they said, okay, you know, what can I say? You know, they they, they turned it down. And uh, they're still looking. They're, they keep on looking for more houses. Two months go by, and they see that this house, their dream house, they closed. And they look at the price that they closed, and it closed for $75,000 less than it was asking. And they were like, what? Are you kidding me? This could have been ours. This would have been right in our budget. Why is God doing this to us? And these types of scenarios happen all the time to every single person. And consistently it happens. Every, every so often it happens and you start saying, why? What's going on? Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu do this? And the answer is that... The part of Emunah and Bitachon is to realize that you'll come through certain scenarios and they're going to be a test. And it's going to be difficult. But you're going to have to overcome it because it's a test of your Emunah. It's going to test your Bitachon because you're going to be like, why God? The second you have a question, why God, you know that's a lack of Emunah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu set you up, he couldn't, it would have been much easier, you wouldn't have seen the house. You wouldn't have seen that job opportunity. You wouldn't have gotten a phone call for the Shidduch. But the point is that specifically you saw it. Specifically you were put in that position and you didn't get it. That's the test of Emunah. That's the test that you're going to have. Emunah is that you believe in Hashem. Bitachon is the level that you implement it. And when a questionable scenario arrives, you feel relaxed. The Chavos of Avos tells us, you want to know what is the mehus, the essence of bitachon? It's menuchas anefesh. The essence of bitachon, the mehus of bitachon, the Chavos of Avos says, he menuchas anefesh. The essence of bitachon is when you're calm. When you have that menuchas anefesh, you realize that everything is for the best. And that's how you can tell the level of bitachon that you're on. When you have the level of calmness, the level of menuchas anefesh. I don't know what's best for me. You don't know what's best for you. Only God knows what's best for you. We're very limited by what we can see. And this is a test that we have day in and day out in different aspects. Sometimes more difficult, sometimes easier, sometimes in, 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 sometimes it's good and sometimes it's a little bit more difficult. But imagine you have a soldier and you have soldier A. Soldier A is an enemy's territory, and he hears gunshots, and he hears firing, and he's alone in the enemy territory. He thinks he's done. <coughs> he thinks that he's dead. But then comes a drone from the sky and looks down and sees that this soldier is surrounded by not the enemy, but rather by his own battalion, and they're coming to rescue him. And he thinks it's death is imminent, and it's going to be very bad. It's going, it, you know, it's done. And then you have that soldier A. Soldier B is in non-enemy territory. He's in his hometown. He is patrolling whatever area. is confident that he is good. And from a drone comes and looks from a bird's eye. And he sees that there are terrorists all around. The enemy is all around. And they're about to go and attack him. Scenario A soldier and scenario B soldier are feeling something. But what they're feeling is not accurate to the situation that they're in. 
It's actually the reverse. The soldier that's nervous, that's really going to be a good situation. The soldier that's not nervous, that's going to be a bad situation. And this is what happens in our life. We, we don't see, we don't have that drone view. We don't have that God view from up above. And sometimes we're looking and we're saying, oh no, this is going to be very bad. And it turns out to be the best thing possible. And sometimes we're thinking, okay, like this is going to be great. And it turns out to be a punishment. It turns out that obviously it's for also for the best, but it turns out to be something, a difficult, a difficult scenario. And we take this mindset into thinking that when we're coming into these tests in life, we have to realize that whatever Kaddish Baruch Hu does is for the best. And that's what Imuna is. Imuna is implementing and having that Imuna, Menuchas and Nefesh. And that's the Yedata, that you have to know that there is God. And that's the Yaminu Hashem B'Moshe Abda, that means that you take it into the next level, the level of Bitochon. And you want to know what happens when you have a level of Imuna and Bitochon, and you implement it into your own life, then that brings you into a level of Simcha. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to speak about this, that even though it's Adar Allah, but Nishin Nechnas Adar Marben B'Simcha. We all have ways that we want to improve in our happiness. What better way to improve in your happiness is in that working in the simcha, working on your emuna, working on your, you know, on your betachon and realizing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sometimes sends us tests. And the tests are tests of emuna because that is a test of this generation. Rabbi David Asher brings down a story that there was a man in Chicago and this man in Chicago was secular and he was, I realize that oh, the time is extremely late. I apologize. We'll be, uh, we'll be done shortly. The, uh, there was a man in Chicago and this man was a secular man and he started coming to Torah classes and he started becoming more and more religious. Um, to the point that he started coming to more and more classes. But his actual doing of like Torah mitzvos was null. Like it didn't change anything. He came to more and more classes. He gained all that knowledge, but he didn't implement. Nothing came, nothing was implemented. And, uh, you know, after many years, the rabbi comes over to him and he says, I gotta ask you. So you've been coming to the classes. You have the knowledge. You ask the questions. You know the, what the situation is. Why haven't you changed a single thing? No Shabbos, no kosher, no nothing. So the guy says, you know what? You're right. He says, you know what? I'm going to take upon myself something. He thinks for a second. He says, you know what? I'm going to take myself on kashras. I'm going to start keeping kosher. Rabbi says, okay, great. Finally, we're moving somewhere. But the guy says, but Rabbi, we're starting tomorrow. Rabbi is like, what do you mean you're starting tomorrow? He says, you know, I, you know, like, okay, you know, like, we're, I, I gotta, some, some loose ends I gotta take care of. And then I will, uh, I will start it tomorrow. The rabbi says, loose ends when you use to take upon yourself, you start now. So the guy says, listen, he says, I love hot dogs. There is a store in, uh, you know, in Chicago, uh, that's called Superdog and, or Superdogs, and they have the best hot dogs. I can't, like, if I am taking upon myself this, I gotta eat one more of that Superdog's hot dog before I take upon my cashews. And the rabbi was trying to convince him, couldn't convince him, he says, okay, fine, at least start tomorrow. Later that day, he goes over to Superdogs. He orders his hot dog with the sauerkraut, with all the things that it comes, you know, along with it. This fat, fat hot dog, and he sits down by the table and he's waiting for his order to come in. Suddenly, there's a guy with a suit, you know, very put together, sits down right in front of him and starts making small talk. And the guy was like, you know, like thinking about other things. He was like, okay, you know, like trying to respond back, but very, very, uh, you know, blunt and abrupt, you know, like just trying to get the move out. 
and, uh, um, you know, the guy goes, this guy, the suit goes over there and says, uh, you like, uh, you like coming here? Like the food here? And the guy says, food here. I love it. This is the place where I go. But after he said that, he lets out a little sigh. He's like, oh. So the guy says, what's wrong? And he says, you know, this is the last time I'm going to be eating in this restaurant. So the guy says, why? If you love it so much, why are you going to be, why is this going to be the last time that you're eating in the restaurant? And, uh, the man responded, he's like thinking, he's like, well, he's going to tell his non-Jew that he started to work on himself spiritually and not to eat non-kosher. You know, like he can't start telling him, uh, you know, about that. Um, so he decides that he's going to tell him, you know, he's like, look, I'm a family man. He says, a hot dog costs 10 bucks. He says, you know, it's too expensive. He says, I'm not coming here because it's too expensive. The guy in the suit says, what? That's why you're not coming over here? Hold on one second. He goes to the counter, goes behind the counter, and goes to the back. He says, the guy says, who is this guy? Comes back with a certificate. And he sits down next to this, this, this guy who's starting to keep cautious, and he hands him the certificate. And he says, I want you to know. He says, I own this establishment. He says, there is no one who's going to come here. Who's not going to be able to come here because they can't afford it. I will not have it. This is a certificate. You can come every single day, a free hot dog on the house. You don't have to pay for a single hot dog for the rest of your life. You could eat as much as you want. And the guy's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, I thank you. So he doesn't even know how to respond to that. He goes over to the rabbi and he says, rabbi, you got to be kidding me. I just took upon myself to be keep kosher. What is God doing to me? Like, what? He's sending me a, like free hot dogs for life. Are you kidding me? This is my temptation. This is my most difficult thing. And now God is giving to me on a, on a solar platter. Like, I must be God doesn't want me to keep kosher. Like, look at this. This is a sign from heaven. And the rabbi said, this is a test. He says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to take the certificate, laminate it, frame it, put it on your living room. And when you walk past by it, you could say, look at what I gave up. Look at what I gave up for, 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 God, God, for God, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We have tests that come into our lives. And sometimes we think there's no way we can overcome it. It's just too hard. And we have to know that if God gave us a test, we are, have the ability to overcome it. And if you do overcome those difficult tests, those are the tests that are on plaques. If it's not physically, it's spiritually on your, on your wall. Meaning that you have something that you could look at and be like, I overcame it. Even if you failed two hours later, whatever it is. But if you overcame it that one time, that becomes a plaque on the wall. That becomes something so great every time we go and we overcome it. And you want to know what is one of the greatest ways to overcome the test? It's a moon and bitachon. When you have Hashem real in your life, when you connect and you have that relationship to Him, and when Hashem is real to you and you have that high level of a moon and bitachon, that gives you the power to overcome the test. And that's what bitachon. Bitachon means... That whatever situation you're put in, whatever happens, as long as you did your hishtad lut, then it's really good. And it's not that it's only just good, it's the best thing that can happen to you. And explains Rabbi Victor Miller, it's not only the best in the next world, it's also the best in this world. And that's why I want to end off with a, you know, the thought on, on Emuna of worries. People, you know, have a lot of worries, have a lot of things that they're on their mind, and you know, when you walk past by a cemetery and you look at the people that once were and you look at this full, you know, cemetery full of people, each one of them 
at one point had many worries. And what's the worries now? The worries are nothing. It doesn't matter. Everything doesn't matter at that point. Like anything that they were anxious about, they would never be anxious about. One of the greatest medicine is the thought of death. The thought of like, okay, what's important in life? What would they give to be in your shoes with your worries? You know, it's always, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But when you look back and be like, I can't believe I was worried on that. Imagine you're looking at a picture or a video of yourself from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago, six months ago, whatever, that you were very worried about something. And then it turns out that that worry was like nothing. It was like a joke. It hadn't, it didn't come into fruition. Imagine you had that level of like, okay, this is nothing to worry about it right then when it's happening. That's what Amuna is. You want to know how your level of Amuna are? How, where's your Menucha Sanefesh? How calm are you? How anxious are you? How is your prayer? All these factors factor into where your level of Amuna and Bitachon is. And this is what we have to focus on. We have to know that a God exists. The more that we focus on each and every single one of these topics, the greater your Amuna is going to be. So the more that you know that God exists, the greater the Amuna is going to be. The greater, the more knowledge that you have on how Hashem interacts with you and how Hashem feels about you and how Hashem, you know, wants you and connects with you and loves you, the greater your moon is going to be. That's step one and step two, which is intellectual. And step three, which we spoke about, that's putting it, implementing it into our own hearts, into our own becoming part of us is Three parts to that. And that was part A, you ask Hashem for everything. You pray and you pray and you ask and you talk to God. Part B is putting Hashem in your life. Putting God in your life. There's a relationship that you want to be there. We came here, we want to be here. The greatest relationship is when two spouses, they both want to be in their relationship. Now one person is checked out. One person is one step out the door. And part C is Akar Satov. Realizing and how much we have to be grateful for. We focus on these things, and this is not the all-encompassing, but these are three big things. We focus on these things, we can internalize our amuna. And when you go and you're learning about amuna and you feel like it didn't come in, the more that you learn, the more that it's going to come in. Don't ever, ever give up on this. You have, this is something that you have to continuously learn about. You have to continuously grow it. You have to continuously put it into your mind. A person is never finished learning about amuna. You have to constantly, constantly focus on this and learn this and grow in this and and just try to become greater in this. And that is consistency. That is something that you have to consistently do. And with that, HaKadosh Baruch will give us the ability to pass the test of this generation. And that is a test of Emuna. And then we'll be able to see Mashiach and be able to bear the fruits of all this Emuna that we're working on. Before we open up to questions, we'll say one capital to Hillen for this for the hostages and the soldiers in Eretz Yisrael. And, and, and then we'll open up. As usual, we say Kuflama chapter 130. Kivisi adoine kifs on afshi, vilid varai hai khalti, nafshi la doine mishamim la baiker, shaymim la baiker, yachel Yisrael el adoinei, ki im adoinei achazer barabay my fedus, vuhu yiftes Yisrael mikol avanesov, achenu kol beis Yisrael, and asunim batsarov ashivya, haimdim bain bayam uvein bayavasha, hamakam yirachim alem, viyatsim itsara lirvacha, mafela leara, umishibud legula, hashta bagala bizman kariv, vinaymar amen. 
Okay, let's open up to any questions, and if we don't have any questions, then we'll close it off. Okay, first thing, lack of emunah is like punching a wall that can't move, and remembering that Hashem helped you before, and He will help you again. Ooh, I love that. That's great. Um, and then, okay, thank you for the kind words. Oh, Baruch Hashem, happy that... For all the, for all the nice comments. But looks like that was all, uh, for the questions. So I thank you all for joining. Anybody else who wants to join us, please reach out to me or look on the, um, YouTube notes or email me at rabbizitron at torahanytime.com and I could, uh, send you the information. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by torahanytime.com.